We have been duped by feminism, sexual liberation, and antidepressants. We have been told that we are powerful and free now as women, but we feel tired, wired, and bitter. We're mostly eating right, exercising, and meditating, wrangling to-do lists, and arranging playdates, and yet there's a haunting hollowness beneath the huge complaints. What if I told you that there is a huge storehouse, a reservoir of energy inside of you that has not been tapped, that you could feel light and pulsing, excited and alive in ways that a wellness lifestyle cannot deliver, that you could trust yourself, that the world could feel safe and that unexpected and expected delights could start to illuminate your path. No coach, therapist, doctor, or guru required. Just you learning to get real, present, and attentive with you. I feel like I'm here to matchmake your inner parts for the greatest love affair ever written. I want to help you learn first where you're buying eggs from the hardware store, which is the source of all pain. I want to help you master entering through the upset, which is the only spiritual practice you'll ever need and to get real comfortable putting on your villain crown, which is, in my opinion, the key to true power. And then you'll attune to your inner yes so you can live the life defined by the specific pleasure of who you are. I am so excited to announce my latest book called The Reclaimed Woman, which is available for pre-order now. So if you head to the link in show notes, you can learn more about bonuses, events, and companion offerings. And I cannot wait to see your gorgeous face on the path. I'm Dr. Kelly Brogan. You may know me as a New York Times bestselling author of a book with an exploding pill on the cover, renegade psychiatrist, pole dancer, or honorary member of the Disinformation Dozen. What can I say? I'm a born provocateur. I've spent most of my recent life exposing deceptions, connecting dots, and discovering the secret places my inner victim is still waiting to be liberated. And now I feel called to help you reclaim all of your parts, your health, your sexuality, your power, and your expression so that you can finally truly own yourself. I want to ignite in you that inner knowing and the pulsing vitality that lives beneath your disempowerment, disconnection, and resentment so that you can audaciously, courageously, and playfully alchemize your struggle into the specific pleasure of who you are. This is Reclamation Radio, a Soul Fire production. Today's conversation is very, very special and exciting and almost in some ways overwhelming with my personal erotic coach, Whitney. And I was just kind of popping onto your website this morning, Whitney, because I wanted to find this, this quote, which I'll share in a moment. And I was just kind of scrolling through and I found myself like it's happening to me now, like overwhelmed with emotion. Like I just like oh, this like flood of emotion come through my body, just like reviewing <laughs> what you stand for. And because of our work together, I was able to do something different than I would have done before working with you. And the different thing was that I didn't say, why are you getting upset right now? 
what the fuck is going on? Like, get the quote and go, okay? You got shit to do. I didn't do that. But I also didn't do a lot of what I had been doing in my sort of like feminization work before meeting you, which was almost like fuel the catharsis with story, right? So like what I might've done in that moment is feel something that then I would call sadness, that then I would tack on like all of like, oh, it's so sad what I've been through and like tap into my ancestors and all of their pain and then all the pain of the women of the world and then get in the fetal position and like, you know, go through this whole drama, really like not pejorative drama, but just like a whole thing with a story. And because of our work, I just sat there storyless with the sensation, you know, just with the sensation. And it was beautiful. It was a beautiful experience. It was like this microcosmic tour of so much of how I benefited, you know, from your presence and your wisdom and your guidance. So welcome, first of all. Thank you. And I wanted to share this quote, you know, from your writing and, and ask you a little bit about it. Okay. So you write, I blend spirituality with sexuality and give my time to studying the erotic arts so that I can help women de-armor their hearts, descend into their bodies, connect with the power of their pussies and pleasure and get a whole lot more comfortable feeling feelings. Okay. To my mind, I'm not sure what's more important. Literally on this plane than that work right now. But right below that, you talk about this phrase that is too excellent, bitter bitches, right? So you talk about how you are here to help bitter bitches. And I think that despite, you know, whatever um, sort of like implied negativity might be in that phrase, we all relate to that. Like we all feel like bitter bitches and why? And so I wanted to sort of like tee up your vast body of knowledge, wisdom, and experience with that particular focus. You know, why are we bitter bitches and what are the patterns and cycles, you know, that you're here to help women break or at least shed a light on? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So I came to erotic practices to work on myself. You know, that's what I thought I was doing. I showed up and this is what clients to show up to me for as well as in this way of how can I be different in the presence of other human beings? I didn't feel safe with other people. I didn't know what my needs were, what I wanted, what actually made life worth living for me, what felt good because I was so busy taking care of everybody else. Right. So I showed up to this work, not really understanding all the dynamics that I was pulling into the room where I was like, I want to learn how to squirt. I want to learn how to have multiple orgasms. I want to learn how to have energetic orgasms. I want to have these deeply transformational experiences with my lover. And what that transformed into really quickly was, oh, I actually don't know how to be in the presence of other people without overgiving and without consenting to touch that I didn't actually want, consenting to sex that really wasn't all that nourishing to me. You know, I said yes when I actually wanted to say no. I was constantly caretaking other people's emotions and mental well-being, you know, taking responsibility for their shame, for everything. I made myself responsible for everything. And 
I didn't understand how that was connected to eroticism because I saw eroticism mostly as just orgasm and pleasure. And I wasn't really thinking of it as life force energy, you know, of like, where am I channeling my attention? Where am I channeling my life force? What am I even feeling in my body? And I was totally caught up still in that dichotomy of like brain versus body, you know, where I'm like, I got to get out of my head. That's going to be the trick. I got to get out of my head. Right. And I was making dissociation really wrong and bad. And like this other thing that I needed to fix with myself. And what became apparent to me from my own journey, and as I started to, to work with a lot of other people, is that it, my problem, I thought, was, hey, how can I be safe with other people when what was actually going on was, oh, I'm not safe with me. Yeah. So that's kind of like where my work is now centered around helping women learn how to be safe with themselves. How does that show up in what we call self-pleasure? How does that show up in our businesses? How does that show up in how we relate to other human beings? We often want to make the dynamic all about the other person, like how we show up with other people, but how do you show up with your body? I, I know we've joked about how the most annoying part of this path and tedious element of this truth is that it's an inside job, right? When I started working with you, I mean, yes, I felt like the call of the erotic, right? I felt that like you're pointing out that there is a connection to vital force through the expression of sexual play and really like a, a disinhibition in that realm. I felt like there was there were aspects of me that I could tap into through partner-based sexual alchemy. And I, I didn't even know what I was talking about really, but I had a sense it had something to do with like sexual behavior. Right. And then we spent six months <laughs> more, you know, doing very basic exploration of what are my like touch preferences, right? Like what, what is my understanding of my, my own experience with my body and then a whole lot of shadow work. Right. And so I am probably just like every one of your clients who really want their partner or wanted, you know, their partner to be the safe haven, right? We have as women, and I know you would agree this, it's almost like a whisper from a time immemorial, you know, to, to come into this polarity, right? To come into this expression of our feminine. We'll talk about like the whole spectrum of what that means. And we want a partner to hold that space. Like we want to feel that it's okay. But first, the bad news is, you know, that it has to be okay here. And that's, you know, what you have helped me through this experience of becoming my own container, right? This experience of even observing what's happening, let alone, you know, being a custodian of that space, let alone approving of it, you know, and even being in sacred witness to it. So it's, you know, it, it does come, right? I think you probably have something to share about like the relationship between the erotic ceiling, right? Like how far you can go with all of these orgasmic experiences you're describing, or even the enjoyment of the play of an incredible sexual dynamic. And I know you have a lot of women who come to you probably saying like, I want to have tantric sex. I know I did because I thought that just mean like meant like better, cooler, more expansive, right? And you know, and you have a huge toolkit that there are very specific elements of shadow work and the resolution of victim consciousness that are required to lift that ceiling. So I wonder if you could sort of speak 
to that relationship, you know, between the shadow of the blaming, finger pointing, projecting, poor me, he's got to do it, not I didn't do anything, you know, so much of the work that you've done with me in leaving my relationship has been around not needing, you know, my, my ex-partner to be bad and wrong in order for it to be valid that I felt, you know, terminal incompatibility. I mean, that simple reclamation from the space of victim consciousness has liberated my body, my pleasure capacity. I don't know that many, many people understand that relationship. So I wonder, you know, if you can speak to the, the sort of almost like the seesaw between the shadow woundology of victim consciousness and the capacity for erotic expansion. Yeah. Yeah. What's coming up for me and listening to you talk about that is more of the macro micro. And I wonder if I'll just kind of spiel for a minute and then you can let me know if you feel like that really touched on what you were hoping to discuss. What I often see is we show up with a very real, very tender desire for our partner to give us something, for our partner to do something for us. And we are in very real pain and what I call in bitterness because they seem to not be able to meet us there. And when we're looking at the micro macro, what I mean is like, it exists here, it exists there, it exists there. Like wherever you look in your life, you see this dynamic play out. So for instance, one of the main things that women say when they come to me is that they want to be able to slow down, to slow down in life, but where they feel the pain the most acutely is during sex with their partner, because they feel like he's kind of progressing faster than what their body's really into. And so they tend to rely on dissociation a lot during certain periods of sex, especially after they have maybe their first orgasm or their only orgasm. And then there's kind of like this belief of, you know, it would just be considerate for him to like hurry it up now, you know? So it's like this weird little pacing of, I want to slow down so I can enjoy sex more and so I can be more present. And so it's not all genital or clitoral focused. And then also this like, but speed it up when I want to speed it up. Right. So, but what I see is when we take that down to self-pleasure where you're just by yourself and theoretically you should, you could slow it down to whatever speed you want to go. There's still a speeding it up. I've got 10 minutes to relieve this tension and like get back to my life. So when we take it down to, well, how are you showing up with your body? When it's just you and your body in a room, can you give yourself the thing that you want? We can see that there's still an unwillingness to give yourself what you are begging for from your partner. And that is often fertile ground for the shadow work of, okay, what's really going on here? Because there should be no tension. There should be no, you know, we should on ourselves resistance to this if we really want it. But that's where we can see where we actually might not be able to tolerate, have the nervous system capacity for the very things that we want the most in life. So then we start to say, okay, let's create fun little playgrounds, little sandboxes for you to go and experiment and gently expose yourself to this thing that you say you want and you do want. However, you don't have really physical capacity to meet that experience without dissociating. 
Like, can you meet that experience of slowing down and be with the experience in your body? Notice what's happening in your body. For a lot of women, that's a no. You know, slowing down equals laziness, which equals I am not worthy. I am not loved. I'm being too indulgent with all this time, right? And indulgence means I'm being selfish. That's dangerous and destructive. So these very positive things that we really want can register in our nervous systems as threat, as something that's going to bring us hardship and harm. And so we can often project that onto our partner when our partner is in the room. However, when they're not in the room, then we have to look at what are we giving ourselves and not giving ourselves? Can we show up and give ourselves the very things that we want the most from other people? Often that is where the work is from my experience. Yes. And it is holofractal, right? Because as you're saying, like you're talking about this dimension of slowness and patient presence, but it's also, you know, it's, it's the betrayal, it's the rejection, it's all of the hurts that we experience coming from the outside are invariably already, you know, being enacted, you know, on the inside. And that's where I think this concept of containers and this concept of creating the conditions for safe embodied experience, you know, because I don't know on a spectrum, like how extreme my recovery process has been, but I know that when we started working together a year ago, I, you know, and then I started doing more specific somatic experiencing work for months. I couldn't identify sensations. And you've talked about how like numbness is a sensation, right? So that was where I was beginning, right? It's not like I had like this horrible feeling I couldn't be with. It was so excruciating. Like literally it was like just a dead zone. Like my whole body just felt like I couldn't identify anything. I just knew that I didn't like, (laughs) you know, the experience of being still with myself or slow with myself. And so that's where you know, setting up these containers, time containers, sort of, you know, making sure that the, whether it's that the door is closed when you're going to be with yourself for 10 minutes, whether it's, you know, you're going to do something for one song or two songs, setting up these parameters so that you can cue and signal to yourself. It's okay to explore. And it's not an indefinite space, I think has really been super powerful. So I wonder if we could move deeper into this topic because it's so big and it's so complementary with the work I have been doing up until meeting you around nervous system capacity, you know, and what does that mean? Right. Cause when you talk about feelings being, you know, sort of the most powerful service you could support somebody in, right. I think we know that we don't want to feel bad feelings and we'll do pretty much anything not to including self-abandon, self-reject, put ourselves into situations that are even more dangerous than whatever it is that we imagined we were careening towards to begin with. But I don't think we really have a sense of the fact that there is a, there are practices, there's time, there's, there are processes required to expand the nervous system capacity to hold these so-called negative emotions. And also most of your work is around holding the pleasure, right? Holding the experience of bliss, you know, ecstasy, expansive energies and yeah. If you could share a little bit about like how our desire, once we, this makes sense to us, cognitively, like how sometimes our desire can outpace really the nervous system capacity and what it looks like to grow that capacity. Yes. 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 So 
I am so grateful to Luis Mojica of Holistic Life Navigation because he gave me these words. And it was something that I had been feeling for a while, but I hadn't had a language to. And that is desire versus capacity. And when we think of desire, that's a very mental realm, right? It, it often is. It's our ideas about what we think we want or a craving we might have. And, and the desire that we will wrap around it is our image of what it will look like to meet that need. So I may have a desire to go to the beach, for instance, and the needs underneath there might be a desire for warmth, a desire for rest, right? And so it's this mental image, though, of how I will meet that. And it can be very true and very positive and very valid. And then I might have expectations, of myself as well, like how things should look, how things are supposed to look, right? So that's desire in when we think of it as more of a mental thought-based process. Whereas physical capacity is what my body can hold and can experience, the amount of sensation I can feel in my body before I might need to reach for dissociation because I've reached that ceiling, what I call the ceiling for a feeling, right? It's, it's just too much. And so I might short circuit or numb out or dissociate or go into like a fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. And so when we think of nervous system capacity, not a lot of people think of capacity in terms of pleasure. We don't think that we have a pleasure ceiling. When we think of our capacity for things, we usually think of words like tolerate and how much can I tolerate of a bad feeling? Like how much stress can I tolerate? How much anxiety can I tolerate? You know, and often we can have a pretty high capacity for these things because that is kind of the comfort zone for our body is to be in an adrenalized state, a state of what I call like preparedness. You know, that's how my body was for a really long time is I was always ready for the thing that was coming around the corner, right? There was like this hypervigilance and this readiness and this bracing for something that was about to happen. So I would be out in my garden or, you know, sitting in water, floating in water, and then all of a sudden have these thoughts come in of like conflict that hadn't even happened or something that I, I thought I should worry about, a task that I need to complete, you know, these thoughts that made me clench and constrict and get activated. And now I can see that that's just an indication that I've met my, my ceiling for the feeling of floating out in the water, of feeling that amount of peace and ease where my nervous system is like, oh no, you know, last time or one time when we were feeling unprepared, relaxed, expanded, resting, then this thing happened and we weren't ready for it. And so we're going to be ready next time. And so it reaches for constriction, clench, tension. And that happens when you go to self-pleasure. That happens when you're sitting and trying to have a really connecting conversation with your lover. That happens when you're trying something new, some new little, little kink scene or a fun game you want to play. And you're met with like a little bit of a collapse, right? Or like a little bit of, uh, I don't know, from another person. And then you immediately freak out. Like your whole system's like red level threat, right? Over the tiniest little thing. I think that 
one of the most grounding and compassionate ways to play with your nervous system is through the containers like you were talking about creating you know using the word titration that's what they'll often use in somatic experiencing and it's just this word that comes from chemistry where it's like imagine that you have a beaker sitting on a a lab and you are above the beaker with a dropper full of another solution just adding it one drop at a time so that you don't have some like volcanic lava explosion all over the lab, right? It's this idea of one drop at a time, allowing that to slowly mix and then adding more. And that's what we're doing with the amount of charge that you have in your body through these different things. So let's give an example so that people are like understanding. Let's say that I really want to slow down and eat my food. Say I want to do that. I work from home. I've got kids, things going on. And what I really want to do is just be able to slow down and enjoy my food. But when I sit down to eat my food, I feel an intense pain in my solar plexus area and like anxiety all of a sudden, like sensations in my chest that I would call anxiety. That's usually an indication when we're feeling this huge rush of charge You could call it energy, electricity. It's just high levels of sensation in our body. When you're feeling that, that's a good indication that you're up against that edge or you might even be beyond that edge a little bit of what your nervous system can hold without going into a place of constriction or activation. So if we're titrating, if we're creating a container where you're going to sit down and design this situation on purpose so that you're like, okay, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to eat this peach and I'm going to be with the sensations that come up while I sit here and I eat with this peach. So I take a bite, I taste for a second, and then all of that charge starts coming up. I can feel the pain in my solar plexus. I can feel all the anxiety in my chest. I just set the peach down and I breathe. I feel my feelings. I look around, let myself know that I'm safe, that I'm fine, everything's okay, right? I'm just feeling the feelings on purpose. I'm being present with what's happening in my body. I'm noticing what's happening with my thoughts. And then I can pick up and eat the peach again. And that might be a first little experiment. Can I sit here and eat my peach and be with the feelings that are happening in my body? Notice the deliciousness, notice the thoughts, And just be with this experience. And then once you get comfortable there and eating the peach no longer feels what you might call stressful or negative, and they're no longer flooded because your body no longer sees that as you're being too indulgent. You're not giving enough time to work. You've got things going on. You're being too lazy. You're moving too slow. You know, whatever the belief systems are, again, it's just revealing the programming. It's just revealing the conditioning. It's just revealing what might feel like it's getting in the way of your pleasure, but it's actually the way to access your pleasure because you're just meeting your nervous system where your nervous system is and where your nervous system feels comfortable. You find that ceiling for that feeling and you hang out there for a while and you gently expose yourself to that ceiling over and over and over again with intentional containers 
where you're consciously aware of what's happening. And then from there you expand. But to me, that is the conversation that is often left out in a lot of pleasure coaching, a lot of sensuality coaching, even a lot of embodiment coaching. And because people come in with these very clear goals and it can feel really fun to like, yeah, let's get you to do this. And, you know, we're going to help you jump into that kink scene and go to that play party. And we're going to help you be squirting and doing all kinds of fun stuff. But there can be a lot of dissociation, a lot of dissociation in those practices when we, when we're not honest with ourselves about what our physical capacity is. And we start honoring that instead of just honoring our list, our desires. Because again, that's very mental, right? And I don't want to turn dissociation into the villain because that can really happen a lot as people come in and almost every woman who comes into embodiment, sensuality and sexuality space is not wanting to be in her head as much anymore, right? So it's this very, there's my brain and I'm really good with that. And then there's my body and I'm not so good with that. And I can understand, I can totally understand. I came into it the same exact way, but it's just a matter of focusing attention, right? And we can focus our attention on thoughts. It's like a beam of light, like we're turning on a flashlight and we can focus that beam on a thought or we can focus that beam on our body. And I think you're, you're interviewing Betty Martin as well. And she has that quote in her book that we think that we need to turn our mind to the off setting when really all we need to do is turn our skin, our body to the on setting. So it can really be as simple as focusing the attention on this thought versus this thought or, oh my gosh, these thoughts, thoughts, thoughts. Okay. I'm doing that thing. I'm dissociating. I've reached my ceiling for the feeling. I'm beyond what feels comfortable. That was sensory overload for me. Okay, so now I'm going back in. Can I descend into the body and see what I'm feeling? And again, I'm just focusing my attention. I don't need to turn the mind off. It's like that polar bear experiment. As soon as someone tells you to turn the mind off, you know, they're like, don't think about a polar bear. All you can think about now is, is a polar bear. All your attention then goes to stop trying to think so much and then making yourself wrong for the thinking, the thing, you know, all the thoughts. To me, I'm incredibly grateful for dissociation because it's helped me get through some really horrible experiences in, in life. And it's been something that has helped me get through a lot of confusion and a lot of pain. And so I don't want to engage with it as though it's the thing that's in the way and that I don't want to get fixated on fixing the dissociation as though once I handle this, once I'm, you know, no longer thinking thoughts, then I'm finally going to be that pleasure goddess and just be like dripping with sensuality, you know? To me, I wish that we could all get a lot more curious about dissociation and just look at it like, imagine you're a little girl in a garden and there are wildflowers and there are rose bushes and you feel it's just lush and dripping with life. Hummingbirds are flying in, butterflies, the hum of bees. You know, it is really alive, vital, lush, vibrant. And you see the squiggly little worm on the surface of the soil underneath the shade of a rose bush. And you go over and you pick this worm up and you hold it in your hands. And it's kind of gooey 
kind of sticky, smells a little weird, a little different, and it's covered in all kinds of bits of things. But there's just this sense, like a little bit of fear, maybe a little bit of thrill, but mostly curiosity and wonder and awe. It's only when our mother runs over and slaps it out of our hands and like rubs our hand on her skirt and tells us that it's wrong and gross and disgusting, right? So I just wish that we could show up, especially in sexuality, because it's so tender with your partner when you dissociate and how often you're dissociating during sex. And of course, women really want to show up to those places and whip themselves on the back in this like kinky little game that we play with ourselves, making ourselves wrong and punishing ourselves for something that's actually quite necessary. Instead showing up and being like, huh, I dissociated. I met my sensory overwhelm. Was that a pleasure ceiling? Was that a ceiling for the family? Did I say yes when I was really a no? Was there something where I wanted to slow down or pause and I didn't speak up? Like just starting to get curious And again, this shows up in self-play containers as well. I want to just put a little asterisk here because like I come obviously from the psychiatric pathological realm and, and to me dissociating always meant like literally like losing time, space, reality, right? The way that, so I wonder if you could sort of clarify, like how, how would a woman know if she's in, you kind of touched on it just now, but that it's, it's actually like a broad umbrella. Like I didn't used to think of dissociation as encompassing, like thinking about things unrelated to whatever my present experience was. And now I, I do. Right. So there are many different ways that we sort of like protect ourselves from this expansive feelings that we don't think we can handle. So if you could just, before I ask you another related question, how does a woman know if she's dissociating? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how a lot of women will talk about it when they show up to coaching or, you know, in these spaces where they're wanting to develop a different relationship with their body is it's often we talk about it just being up in our thoughts. So it's like, if I'm with my lover, I, I don't even, I'm like, wait, was his skin on my skin? I didn't even feel that it's, it's, I can't, I'm not actually in connection and contact with what's happening in my body. And again, there's a, a plus to that, right? It's like, if I'm consenting to something that I don't actually want to do, dissociation is my friend and she will get me through a lot of sex. That's not necessarily worth having and self-pleasure, self-play that's as nourishing as like fast food, you know? And so when I think of dissociation and often talk about dissociation, and thank you so much for like clarifying, is can you be present to what's happening in your body? Can you look? Can you feel? Can you notice? Can you describe if you're with someone and they're touching you? Are you there with that? Are you feeling that? Or are you up here and out here? Not at all attuned to what's happening inside your body and to your body. So that's just a quick check that I feel like is a a quick and easy test for a lot of women to start to notice. Oh, okay. It happens a lot, especially, um, you know, in kink where there's like this very much, I want to endure 
<laughs> and then I'm going to push on through. It's like this push on, push on through energy and also just an allowing. I'm just like going with the flow and kind of allowing stuff to happen. And I'm not really into it. And this actually feels not that great. And so I'm going to go up into thinking thoughts. What you shared earlier about the titration, I think there's just one very important element of this conversation I want to foreground, which is that I think it's, it's what you're describing in terms of this ceiling that is responsible for a lot of the self gaslighting that we do as women, when we get and have the thing that we wanted and we still don't feel good. Right. And then we start to say, well, what's wrong with, I can't tell you how many times in my career I've interacted with women who've said, I don't know what's wrong with me. Like I just always feel flat or I always feel anxious or I always feel depressed. And, you know, I look at my life, I have so much. Right. And so if you don't have this piece of the conversation around the capacity to experience pleasure, then you're constantly in this pursuit of that, which you imagine will help you to feel better. And then it doesn't because it literally can't. Right. So it's like, it's this loop. I know, you know, you're very aware of. And so I, you and I have talked a lot about resolving if then living, right. So resolving this habit and potentially self-protective mechanism around like, the good feelings are over there. They're over there. And, and once I, once I get there, then I'll feel them. And it's this very disempowering, you know, it, it all comes back to this same construct of disempowerment and, and victim consciousness from our childhood experiences. I mean, it's literally pervades every aspect of what we struggle with from the mundane to the, you know, pathological. And so if it's, if it's over there, the good feeling thing, you know, and, and I'm just going to feel like shit and endure until I get to the good feeling thing or until I get the good feeling thing, then I'll get it. And then if I feel bad, I beat myself up for feeling bad, even though I have, you know, it's like, wow, what a, what a landscape we've created for ourselves. So you, you've really encouraged me to like bring little elements of what I imagine the good feeling thing will afford me into my life now. Like, for example, you know, I love examples. When I uh, injured my ribs, pole dancing. And I couldn't exercise. I mean, you saw me struggle with that pretty mightily for two months. And we talked about like, okay, so what is the experience and feeling that I have when I get to dance and move that I feel robbed of and that I feel I can't access now because I, I'm injured and I can't do those things. So I have to wait until I'm healed and I just have to sit here in displeasure and tolerate it. Right. And we talked about, okay, well, why don't I go in the water? right? It's like the water, a place where I could feel some, pull some threads from the quilt of satisfaction and fulfillment that I imagine is only woven through dancing, right? Is there some aspect of that I can experience right now? I mean, it's the same reason that I, you know, I, I painted the wall, put up a pole, changed all the lighting in a house that I'm moving out of <laughs> imminently, you know, like, and I did all those things because now I live where every day that I am not giving myself pleasure I know I want and can is a self-abuse, it's self-violation. Why would I wait one day, you know, versus, you know, claiming that now? So that connection, I think, is very, it's like very applicable, right? Like women can start to think this way today about how to relate to pleasure in these small ways, you know? So I wonder if you can talk about sort of, you know, 
titration as it applies to like the small pleasures and, and weaving in what you think is going to come from the big pleasure, you know, that you're chasing right, most of your adult life. Yeah. So the, if this, then that, or when X, then Y you were talking about, it's like, when I make a hundred thousand dollars a year, then I will have this and get to do this and get to be this person. When I have a man who is ABC, then I get to have XYZ, right? It's these formulas, these rules that we're creating and operating on. And it can feel very disempowering and quite hopeless a lot of the time when all of our happiness and satisfaction is riding on this destination that we seem to not really be able to get ourselves to. So we put the the desire up on the mountaintop, you know, and, and then we just can't freaking seem to get there because there's so much stuff out of our control. I mean, you know, there's just so much chaos. There's so much out of our control. So the trick is how can we take the goal off the mountaintop and start weaving bits and pieces of it into your life using things like titration to start exposing your nervous system to things that you want, but may not have capacity for yet. So like one fantasy that a lot of my clients have is a level of wealth and financial security where they can spend more time in the garden. They can, you know, cook these slow, beautiful, delicious meals and take a nap in the hammock and not feel guilty about it, you know? However, when you look at their life now, they are working all the time and they are running 90 miles an hour. And so of course, if I, if you drop them in that reality tomorrow, they're going to fill up all that time and space with to-dos and stress, and they're going to create new things to worry about, right? It's again, it's like, even when I have all the life, like, why can't I enjoy the life? You can't be present to it. Your body can't hold all of this, like, pleasure and delight and deliciousness and slowness and spaciousness because you're used to your schedule being stacked and you're used to having to pour more coffee on it in order to meet the demands of the day, right? So we can't just drop you into that garden because if I drop you into that garden, you're still going to be you and you're going to be thinking all the stressful thoughts. So then we start to do little bitty experiments like Okay, we look at that dream that you have up on the mountaintop. And then I start to poke you a little bit by being like, well, what if you took a nap in a hammock? Well, like, I don't have a place for a hammock and I can't take a nap because life's too busy and da, 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 da. And we start to see like why you don't think you can have it. And sometimes it's like, we think it's because of the logistics of our day when really often there are deeper beliefs underneath there. Like I can't take a nap because I'm too busy can often translate to, well, I'll speak for myself in my childhood. Laziness was like the number one sin. So you couldn't just lay around pleasure, rest. These were things that were earned. These were things that you deserved after sweat and effort. These were not things that you just did and you just gave yourself, you know? So sometimes beliefs like this are stirred up. When we start, okay, like, what about, what are you going to do in the garden? What feels delicious about being in the garden? I love flowers. Beautiful. Do 
you have a place you can plant some flowers and go sit in the morning and have tea? No. Okay. That feels too much. Great. We're going to dial it back. Can you allow yourself the gift of buying yourself a bouquet of flowers every week and putting them somewhere where you can sit and enjoy them? Right. It's like we just keep pulling it back. Okay. What's another thing? Okay. Well, I want to slowly cook meals. Great. Can you have one day a week where you cook a delicious recipe? Just one day a week where it's like you have three hours to prepare everything from scratch. Can you do that? No, that might feel too much. Can you join a cooking class? Can you just allow yourself to go sit at that cafe that you love and sit outside, put your phone in your purse, put it away and just sit and eat that meal? Just keep pulling it back because when we put the goal and the life up on the mountaintop, it just seems like we can never quite get there. And we leave a lot of choice and a lot of possibility on the table because we, again, we've created this mental construct, this mental idea of how it's supposed to look, how it should look, how it's going to look when all of the pieces fall into place exactly like our imagination just created. And that can really be so limiting. And it's, can we use your creative imagination? To me, honestly, I think creative imagination is the most powerful thing that we have, right? Like all of the conflict that we have, all of the desires that we have, the needs that we have, how we get them met, how we get them fulfilled. So much of the drama leads back to a lack of creative imagination and how you were getting that met. So much of the drama comes back to, well, I had this one way that I was going to get this need met, this one way. And because that one way can't happen, then I don't get the need met, you know? And it's like, that's incredibly disempowering. And we are so much more creative than that. So I wonder if we can talk a bit about the creative dimensions of conscious kink and BDSM like as a bit of a segue, because I remember, and and so do you, when I first, first, first spoke to you, I remember telling you, well, like, I don't know, I I know I want to like expand and explore. And I really want to bring Eros into my day-to-day life, like into my every action, every, into my work, into my everything. And I said, you know, I, I I would like to like do the whole avatar, you know, like sexual avatar thing and imagine like being able to try on different personae and try on different energies, but like, it's so uncomfortable for me. And I can't even imagine, you know, like I, from my, you know, uh, trauma history of like hiding secrets, you know, from my childhood, once I liberated myself, like, I don't want to pretend ever, you know, like I need to be just me all the time. And slowly, slowly, like over the process and, you know, quite a dark night of the soul over the winter, I find myself in this personal arc, right? Where I went from good girl, like allopathic doctor, then to like subconscious kink, right? So in the renegade, like notoriety of my health freedom activism, like disinformation dozen level, you know, aren't I a bad girl? you know, kind of version, then into like this desecreting, you know, shame alchemy around the incorporation of like my naughty provocateur energy on the public stage. And now I find myself in this place where I'm so drawn, as you know, to exploring like perhaps the destination in a way of, of this entire 
journey, which is sacred submission, right? And, and what would it be to have built up this arsenal of, you know, certain dimensions of power and dominant mm -hmm. power, and then to lay it at the feet willingly of, you know, a sacred partner, you know, who is embodying all of the virtues that I have from childhood and, and probably previous longed for in, in a man, right? And you, you know, you've held space for this arc for me, you know, and you didn't come in and say, you know, even though I have in my, you know, erotic blueprint, I'm a shapeshifter with a kink, right? Like, like subtype or whatever. And I remember when you first mentioned that, I was like, sort of intrigued, like, oh, what does that mean? You know, that's just not been a part of my worldview. So I wonder if you can speak a bit, because I know you could do like a weekend workshop on this, but just a bit to shame alchemy, right? In the space of consented and conscious erotic power dynamics, and maybe also touch specifically on you know, what it is for women to make contact with this kind of not only personal, individual, sexual shame, but the collective, because you and I have exchanged many, many voice notes. And there is one voice note that you left me, I don't know, some time ago, where there was a passion that came through you. It was like, it would like gives me goosebumps recalling it, right? And you were talking about, you know, I just started to post scantily clad, you know, pole dancing videos on my social media. And there was um, a lot of response. And, and really now I look at it and it's like, people don't care that I'm like wearing booty shorts and it's that I've changed, right? It's that I have changed and you're not allowed to change, right? It's just too threatening. And certainly that kind of contrast, right? Mm -hmm. But there was something that came through you that I just felt humbled, you know, by your depth of connection to the collective shame of all women, you know, in this realm. And certainly in your sort of line of work, I didn't realize, you know, like how you're as, you know, banned and censored as us anti-vaxxers, you know, and it's, that's shocking to me. And of course, not surprising, you know, because what is more threatening than this reclamation? So I wonder if you could just, you know, in a few minutes, speak to the role of intentional power dynamics in the erotic space, consented power dynamics for shame alchemy, and just maybe a word on like what we're all doing with this shame, you know, how are we all doing our part? Can we all do our part to walk through the fire? Cause that's what it feels like. It literally feels like walking through the fire and having your support. And of course the support of my, my women in my life is the only reason, you know, that I was able to recognize like, oh, this is an initiation. And on the other side of this is even more pleasure, even more freedom, like even more a sense of coming home to myself. I can do this. Yeah. Yeah. The shame alchemy piece is so important. And it's what always gets me like the most excited about conscious kink and about walking into these containers that again, we design on purpose with an intention. So for instance, one of the things that I'm still working on, it's still a big shame for me, is how much work I am. Like, I'm so much work. I'm so high maintenance when it comes to the, to the bedroom because I'm also a shapeshifter. And I can go and go and go and be in pleasure and have hands on me and just be in that space for hours and hours and hours and still want more attention, more affection, more love. 
And so there's a lot of shame that I carry about that because in my childhood, it was like the exact opposite. I was in foster care for a little while. I moved in with my stepmother and my father who were kind of like starting their own family and doing their own thing. And so there was very much this story of I'm a burden and I, you know, need to, to make up for myself by doing all this work around the house and not being too much work and not being too much of a bother. I didn't want to be a burden. And so naturally when I came into my relationship and I started really opening and blossoming and really experiencing and what I wanted for the first time, like having that first body imprint where things happened to my body and I didn't even know that I wanted that, right? Because again, there's this mental idea of what we think that we want and then the actual embodied experience of it. And that's really important. And I'll talk about that in a minute as well. But we can show up and think oh, this is what I like, when in actuality, through exploration, we discover that we aren't really all that turned on by that thing that we thought we really liked. And our body is actually responding to something else. You know, Jaya, the erotic blueprints work is really rooted in this. And you see that in Sex, Love and Goop with, I think, the couple with Erica and Damon, where he thought he was really into just genital focus sex, penetration was all that mattered, you know, however, he actually prefers more energetic sex. So he didn't know that because he didn't have an experience of that in his body before, right? So something gets unlocked, you have an imprint of an experience where you have an entirely new experience of yourself. And so once that started to flow through me and I realized just how much I wanted, I immediately was met with self-projection and fear and shame. Because that bumped up against my childhood beliefs of just be cool. Don't be too high maintenance. Don't be needy. Don't have needs. Take care of yourself. Be, you know, that independent woman that can get everything done and not need someone else. So this started to really impact my sex life and my connection with my partner. In an unconscious, subconscious way, I was pushing him away a little bit and trying to like do a bunch of stuff myself. Because I think part of me wanted him to see, hey, she's cool. She doesn't need me too much, you know? However, playing with conscious kink and coming into a conscious kink container, I can design a scene, design an experience so that I can touch that shame of look how much work you are. Look how high maintenance you are. Look at all the stuff I'm doing to please you. Look at how much you need in order to feel sated. I can touch on that shame in a way that feels really loving. So for me, the way that I've been playing with it, when that starts to come up is we enter a container where I am a goddess and I'm like an earth goddess you know it's it's very like earthy and i am this being this old dark feminine sacred being because i'm like borderline evil when i get into my like dark feminine i am she is dark and when i my southern accent comes out like in one of my archetypes and when that comes out my partner's like oh I think that's what I heard in that message. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh god, this is what she gets. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm on the first team. This bitch is. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, hey, sugar. Yeah, if I'm like, hey, sugar, or like something like that, he's like, oh, it's about to get real. 
you know? So the way that we started playing with it is I'm this goddess that he must appease through worshiping my body, through giving and giving and giving and giving to me. How it looks structurally is like a bossy massage from Betty Martin. You can YouTube that bossy massage, Betty Martin. And she gives the guidelines and then parameters, but that's pretty much how it looks as I lay. And then I give him instructions. And then if he gives me more or doesn't quite follow the instructions, I might punish him a bit. I'm in a Dom role in this particular scene because I'm a switch. But then we keep playing with like, how much can I receive? How much can I receive? And when the shame comes up, he gives me love. He puts his hands through my hair and kisses my face and tells me how much he loves, how much I need, right? So he's giving me praise for the very thing that I have a lot of shame about needing. And for some people, praise might not be the thing that they want, but for me, using this as a container to presence the energetic elephant in the room, to speak that deep, deep pain and shame into the space, I want to be met in this particular instance with love and appreciation. And my man saying, I see you and I love you. And I love this about you too. You know, that's what works for me. So that's the conscious container that we enter into, right? Like beforehand, we'll sit, we'll talk about my yeses and my nos, and he'll have like a general roadmap of what I'm consenting to and not consenting to. So I'm not consenting to any kind of humiliation. I'm not consenting to any kind of degradation right? We have like a little checklist that we'll use. And so, but he uses his own personality and artistry to like fill in the blanks with that scene. But the intentionality is, hey, let's address the thing that you don't want to say because you're afraid if you say it, I won't love you anymore. The thing that you're afraid to say or do or be because you're going to be punished because you're going to be exiled. Let's play with that intentionally in an erotic space. To me, for me personally, in my relationship, it's been incredibly connecting to be able to be that vulnerable because of course, so much of our change just comes from sitting in silence and suffering in silence and not really addressing it, right? But if I can design a container with my partner And we can sit with that part of me and feed that part of me and be with that part of me and explore that and change my associations, right? Changing my my body's associations with what it is to receive. Because I've always been a giver. Give, 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 constantly giving to other people, you know, hoping like maybe this will be enough. Maybe I'll be lovable now. Maybe I'll be worthy. Maybe if I give them this other thing that I can rest for a little while and they'll leave me alone, like constantly giving. So receiving is really edgy for me and containers help me explore. What are my limits? What are my edges with how much I can receive before I start to dissociate before I start to just check out where I like don't want to be in the room anymore. Right. And so I just speak that and he might, he might come over and like pull my hair back and check my eyes multiple times. Are you still here with me? Where are you? Come back. You know, and again, I'm walking into that container knowing one, 
the shame alchemy piece. We are going to play with the thing that I'm terrified to look at, with the thing that I'm terrified to say out loud. We're going to bring her out and let her have some air, right? So there's the shame alchemy piece. But it's also I'm changing my body's associations with what that means. Like, look, this man that I love so much can see this and we can play with this. And it doesn't mean harm and hardship, which is what it means, you know, to up here and to these different parts that live around my body. It's like, oh no, you know, like, okay, he gave us love and we had that really great massage. Now let's turn around and give him a blow job so that there's equality because we don't want to owe him anything right? It's like, Ooh, can you be in a container where for an hour you are just worshiped for two hours? You are just worshiped and given to and given to and given to like, that's a lot for the nervous system to hold. And you'll feel I should give back. Now it's his turn. I should give him the equal amount of pleasure, right? So it's all those voices. I'm seeing all of those voices that come up and all of that fear, and I'm speaking it out loud during the scene. That's how I do it. I speak it out loud so that he can meet me. And we can, again, just keep addressing the energetic elephant in the room. I can keep presencing all the fear, all the shame, all the stuff. And it's this special sacred space where you communicate on a level and with a level of formality that you might not otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the beauty of these very, very delineated roles that are complementary in and then not overlapping, right? That they're 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 truly the polarity that is possible between, you know, feminine and masculine energetics. And I think for you know some of us who have had certain experiences, there's just there's such a deep healing available. I mean, as somebody who's not even experienced it, I can just I can't wait, you know, like I just like, I feel the promise of doing this, you know, cause I have done a lot of healing work and therapeutic work. And there's, it's something so different to engage this in erotic intimacy, I imagine. And, and I love what you depicted. It's so illustrative of the potential, like where else can you touch that, you know, with such depth and it's really, really beautiful. So thank you for sharing that. So I want to wrap up this is it. It got to be a tough question for you, but I'm sure you'll come up with something because you have so, so, so many resources and tools. And that's also how my, you know, I love tools. Like I love practices and, and homework. And, you know, I've collected so many pearls from you over the time we've worked together. But I wonder if you can share whatever tool comes to mind for you that has helped you personally come out of your head right so so really resolve that dissociation we've been speaking about and i know you have so many uh, but i wonder if there's one that's easy for you you know to share with those listening yeah yeah so i've been studying the orgasmic arc for a bit now and genevieve who's also a fellow erotic blueprint coach wrote a book you can find it uh, wherever you can get like kindle kind of books um digital. I don't think there's a paper copy yet, but it walks through the process. I will simplify and say what has helped me from that orgasmic arc tool is safety. Coming into safety and connection with my own body when I am going into self-pleasure. So 
that leaks out into bigger, more intense, longer lasting orgasms with myself, that post-orgasmic bliss after an orgasm with myself, letting my body lead. So maybe genital touch isn't even what happens. And that's really important. Like letting my body have a say instead of showing up with a plan of like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to use these tools and do the sex to myself and make the things happen because that's my plan. That's my mental plan that I show up with, right? Instead of being with what's alive in my body right now. And it means that I show up with my lover completely differently. We follow the rhythms of my body. So safety, what does that mean? For me, it means before I self-pleasure, I sit down with my body. I feel the weight of my body, you know, in this chair now, but like on the bed, on the floor. Can I connect with where I'm feeling being supported and held? Can I feel the density of my bones, the weight of my body and feeling supported and held? I'm also going to notice where am I clenching? Where am I still trying to hold myself? Because I don't feel totally solid and settled into the environment. And I look, I might need to close some curtains. I might like, maybe there's some things in my environment that are keeping me from feeling like I can totally relax and let go. And then I'm just noticing my breath, my inhale and my exhale. So I'm feeling the weight of my body. I'm noticing where I'm clenching or I'm holding. Maybe I could soften my jaw. Maybe there are other muscles that might want to melt a little bit. And I'm showing up not with like relax, right? I'm showing up with, I see you. I wasn't even aware of you a minute ago. But now that I've, that beam of light of my attention is on my body. Now I see you and I feel you. And like, now that I'm here with you, can you soften a little? And from there, a desire will come up. Or maybe a sensation becomes really obvious, right? So the other day I went out to self-pleasure in the the hammock and I walked out with my water and my vibrator. I'm like, I'm going to crawl in the hammock and I'm going to self-pleasure in the garden, looking out at the ocean and all the flowers. And I noticed pretty quickly that I was cold and I needed a pillow. And the old me would have pushed on through And I would have said, it's fine. We're just going to be here for a couple of minutes. The old me just used self-pleasure, like a release, you know, like a cathartic release, like a workout of like, I got to get this energy out or like a candy bar where I could just dissociate from whatever's going on in my life and give myself a reprieve, you know, and just be like, I don't want to feel those feelings. I'm going to go stick a vibrator to my, you know, vulva and make intense sensation happen. And I experienced a lot of short circuiting when I did that. Honestly, like my orgasms were not nearly as intense as they are now, but I went and got a pillow, went and got a blanket, came back, snuggled in and immediately could feel myself then actually relaxing into being held by the hammock. Right. So it's like, I've looked, okay, environmental safety, what's causing me to clench handled it, went and got my pillow, went and got my blanket. And I'm feeling my body connect with the hammock. I'm noticing my breath. I'm noticing what might want to soften my jaw a little. And then I had this desire come in that was like, take your shirt off and feel the sun and the wind on your breasts. 
just feel that. And so I did that. And I just felt as much as I could at those sensations. And every time my attention wandered off into thoughts or I got, you know, jolted by like a sound, I would come back to safety. Can I feel the weight of my body? Can I soften the clenching? Can I melt the muscles a little bit more? And can I feel with my breath? Right? I'm just coming back to safety. And then I can feel and be with my body. And I touched my breasts a little bit, but they weren't really into that. It just, I just wanted to feel the feelings of the wind and the sun. So I laid there for a long time. I gave myself the space and I gave myself the pace that my body was asking for. Because again, is your body safe with you? Or do you show up with your idea of how something should look? Do you show up with how something is supposed to look, right? What does my body actually need right now here in the moment? Not what it liked two weeks ago, not what I think I'm supposed to do to it so I can get something out of this experience where it's just an object that I'm acting on, an object that I'm doing something to so that I get some result out of it, right? So then I noticed that like my jaw really hurt and my neck really hurt. I took a vibrator and put it on the gentlest setting and just vibrated the bones of my jaw and put the vibrator back on my neck and my head and just sat there with that for a while. And at that point, I feel that I'm fully aroused and swollen. There is like pulling up energy happening in my pussy where there's actually air that's being sucked in. And I pressed the vibrator to the opening and had this amazing long wave after wave orgasm, right? Used to, I wouldn't be able to do that. Even after all the workshops and the jade egg practices and all of the things, I still showed up with all of those tools and applied them to my body as though my body was this thing that I should act on and do stuff to. You know, even with sensation play, I can still get caught up in these moments where like, okay, I'm touching myself, but it's just, I'm, I'm treating myself as though I can get this 10 minutes of self-touch because it's foreplay. Now I'm just warming my pussy up, right? And it's like, we hate that during sex. So why do we do that in self-pleasure? So if there was any tool I could drop is coming into safety and connection with yourself and your body and just being in conversation with what is my body want right now and letting your body have a say, letting your body lead and letting self-pleasure look a bit different than what you might think it's going to look like. You might some days just need to take a nap right? Like you might start doing stuff and like the rope and all over your body and everything's feeling really good. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know what I need more than anything in the world is a really good nap. And you might wake up from that nap, feeling that warm, gooey, tingly feeling that you feel after you have an orgasm, right? It's like these experiences that start to get unlocked where we have new experiences of ourselves when we start to connect with our body in that way, where it's just, can I get safe? Can I feel the weight of my body? Where am I clenching? Where am I holding? Can I feel my breath? I don't need total safety. This is a physical reality. That's impossible. But can I just get safe enough where I can explore sensation? Because that's what we're talking about when we're talking about safety. 
is just, can I drop in and be present to the sensations that I'm feeling? What am I feeling in my body? What's happening? A lot of the people aren't even paying attention to that. And again, I'm still, I'm still unlearning years of the same old, same old, you know, now we call it self-pleasure because it's like a flowery term for masturbation, but I propose we play, we play and we change it to self-play because play allows for something different to happen every time. You know, you didn't show up to the playground as a kid of like, I'm going to play the same game, the same way with the same people every single freaking day. That would get boring. And so it's like, can we allow our body to start to trust us where our body goes? Yeah, she'll listen. She'll listen when I say, I have this really intense pain in my hip to pay attention to that for a minute instead of avoiding it and pretending like it's not there and sticking a tool on the clitoris and creating a sensation. You know, I mean, that's just friction. You can have an orgasm during rape. That's just friction. Right. And so it's like, can we actually connect with our bodies in a deeper way and allow for things to be nonlinear and slow down and give ourselves the gift that we so desperately want from another human being and fucking refuse to give ourselves in our own homes on our own time. That illustration and just the, the visceral experience that I had listening to that experience, that is it. <laughs> that is it. That is it in a nutshell. What we can experience in partner polarity can only become available when we partner ourselves, right? When you become, you know, I think of like a, like, like a salsa dancer, partner dancing, right? And, and, and the, the masculine polarity, the role of that man is to listen to that woman's body, right? Through his body and guide her toward what her body is telling him she needs, wants to look like the beautiful queen dancing, right? And he's like this invisible, really, structure upon which her, you know, blossoming beauty hangs. And, and that's what you offered yourself in that moment was this exquisite capacity and willingness to listen, you know, and to, you know, because it sounds really like, oh yeah, of course I listen to my body. <laughs> Most of us, myself included, don't even really know yet what that means. And so that illustration, I think is, the, is such a powerful example of what inner polarity looks like when it's expressed, right? Like what is it to recognize the tool you brought for your pussy actually wants to be on your neck <laughs> you know like what is it to take that moment and honor that you were chilly like what is it to to recognize that like you know you didn't need to like squeeze your nipples in some pornographic way that's not what was being asked of right so you were you were listening and responding and really being led through that open channel and you were creating the safety for that even to be felt. I mean, it's so poetic and it's so deep and it is the ultimate illustration of that very annoying, tedious thing you told me early on, which is that, <laughs> you know, you become, you must become the thing you are asking for in a partner and then the partner with whom, you know, you can have that experience in, you know, sort of like two-bodied polarity will show up, right? He will, whether it's the partner you're with or, or, or a new one, will show up, you know, as a force of 
mirrored magnetism. So I, I so appreciate that. It's so inspirational and just deeply, deeply settling, you know, to, to my nervous system, to, to feel something so true, you know, and to feel something so nuanced, right? Because otherwise it can get very, we get into that same dictatorial space and that inner rapist really does come online and put on the to-do list, uh, put in the small, you know, sort of like quanta of time we've offered our bodies that sort of top down, here's what's happening, get it done kind of energy. And we wouldn't, yeah. I did my pleasure practice for the day, just like sex with your partner, check. We did sex for the day, you know, again, it's that fractal micro macro. Yeah. For me, the more permission I have given myself, the more permission my lover has given me in return, right? The more I keep giving myself permission to follow my body, to say what's happening, to take up the space, to take up the time, the more and more he's met me there, right? And the more that I've met myself in self-pleasure, the more fully I can receive the gifts that he gives me, right? Because if, if I want something, but I can't really give it to myself and I don't really have a lot of nervous system exposure to the thing, then odds are when I do finally get it from him, I'm not going to be able to be fully open to it. I'm going to clinch up. I'm going to contract a little bit, right? So yeah, self-play and how we show up and be with ourselves and start looking at the dynamic between yourself and your body. There's so much there that women are giving to other people and saying, no, I've got to have the man. Or like, no, my man's got to read this book and take the course. And he needs to have the same language with me because I need to like shift these things in the bedroom. And I'm like, let's talk about how you are with yourself. Because once you get solid there and feel legitimized there and you have the experiences with your body where things are looking a little bit different. You say, wait, hold on a second. You know, I'm not, my body's not feeling like going in penetration. Can you pull on my hips? It's highly unlikely that you'll be able to pause and to actually redirect when you're not meeting yourself there in self-pleasure, right? The experiences just legitimize you in a way where you, you know, you have this trusting relationship with your body now where, you know, like, Hey, let's pause. This isn't working. We thought we were, this was working. I actually need you to penetrate my heart before you penetrate my pussy. I actually need to sit here and connect with you. I actually need to breathe with you. Like this, you know, it's so much easier to speak that when you've had those experiences yourself and you feel like, I know, I know this is going to work. I know this is, this is what I need. You know, and your body has this experience of like, oh, damn, she's listening now. She's not bypassing us. She's not, you know, rejecting us. She's not avoiding us. She's not ignoring us. She's actually listening to us now. And that opens up an entirely new relationship. And, you know, I can rant, I can go on forever and I want to honor your time, but. No, I love it. No, I mean, that's everything. That, that level of restoration of trust is, is what it's all about. I mean, it's, it's literally the only path to experiencing what it is that we think we want. And so I, I'm so, so, so endlessly grateful to you. And you have been and continue to be 
the medium through which so much of this teaching needed to come to me, to my life. And you've inspired me to connect to many of the women in this salon. And I just, I can't wait, you know, I'm in the front row of your theater and I can't wait to see, you know, all of the things you're putting on, on stage. I'm just really in awe of your transmission. So thank you, woman. And I'm so, so grateful to introduce you, you know, have the opportunity to introduce you to everyone. It's really an honor. And I'm so grateful that you're, you're doing this and bringing this to more women. You know, this is what we need for ourselves, our sisters, our mothers, our nieces, like we need this work. So thank you for spreading the message.